BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. And joining us is Matt Lane of KCSN in Kansas City, and he's going to talk about the uh, Chiefs. Uh, fill us in on what is a somewhat changed Chiefs team from the time the Ravens last faced them in 2021, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe that's it. I mean, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the uh, offer to come on here and talk about this. And yeah, it seemed like they were playing pretty routinely there for a couple of years. And then it seems like now it's been a couple of years since the two have faced off. And the last two games, at the very least, were both very fun and exciting. I think each team splitting uh, those last two there and pretty crazy fashion down the stretch. If I recall, one was the overtime game and then one was... The go-ahead touchdown by the Ravens, followed by a fumble by the Chiefs. I mm-hmm. think my memory is correct on this. And then a, a fourth and one conversion by Lamar Jackson, yes. too. So that's, yes. uh, that was a good day for us here in Baltimore. Uh, but we're, we're very happy to have you here, Matt. Uh, obviously, long-time expert. Tell us where, you, where your work is online, first of all, so we know that. Yeah, so I work for a company called KC Sports Network. We cover all Kansas City-based sports for anything you know around the city of Kansas City, Missouri. That's football, baseball, college sports around there. I mostly focus on just the Kansas City Chiefs and college football, but like we have all sorts of shows going up every single day of the week. So if you are interested in more Chiefs talk leading up to this matchup specifically, jump over to the YouTube page, KC Sports Network. There will be a new show from various different hosts all week leading up to the game, essentially talking about just that, the game. So anything you need Chiefs sports related, we should have you guys covered. All right. Outstanding play. So I know our, our folks are, they cannot be oversaturated. It doesn't see in this audience with, with material. I produce eight hours of content per week and they'll call you on every single word. So it's great to have people who are that into the show and really appreciate it. I'm sure there's going to be some great stuff out there from Matt as well, but let's talk about the Chiefs where they are right now. Um, you know, obviously a lot is going on with Taylor Swift, which seems to be one of the first things we talk about in terms of the Chiefs. I'd like that to be the last today if we can defer it. Let's start with Patrick Mahomes and, uh, you know, a, a big game uh, this last week, obviously, and, and, and really for both weeks of the playoffs so far. 
Yeah, and so that's the thing. This whole season for Chiefs fans and specifically looking at Patrick Mahomes has been, I don't want to say up and down. It's just been frustrating to watch because he's very clearly been the same guy he's always been this year. It's just everything's been a tick off. And whether you we want to put that to maybe him having a step back this year, whether you want to put that to receiver room, coaching issues with the new offensive coordinator with Matt Nagy coming in and Eric Bieniemy leaving, there's countless potential reasons for it. It's just frustrating because you know how good he can be and you weren't getting that guy week in and week out. Well, down the stretch of the regular season, you started seeing a lot more flashes of that same guy. Then you get to the playoffs and like, oh, okay, it takes, you know, one drive of each of the first two playoff games the Chiefs have won here. You're like, nope, this is still him. This is still the playoff Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl MVP, the guy that, you know, a lot of people are putting right up there as, you know, the best quarterback in the league all the time. And it just, it took a long time for us as Chiefs fans to see that, but he's now finally coming back out. And it's just, it's, it's a sight to see. I think even as fans of him, of, you know, we are homers, we are all biased for our favorite teams here, but you watch it and you kind of start losing how good he is. Some of the stuff that he does on a routine basis, you go back six years ago when he took over, these are things that your draw would hit the floor if Alex Smith for the Chiefs had been doing that. Or if you saw any quarterback, you know, besides kind of Aaron Rodgers doing these things at the time, and he just does them, you know, drive after drive or game after game, and they just kind of seem so ho-hum, something that we expect at this point in time. And it's just, it, it's a sight to see. And so we, we I'm, I am very happy that he is playing better again. And now he has himself a chance to go on another great playoff run here. Yeah, I mean, I, in some ways, it's already been a great playoff run. I mean, you know, to 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 go and win a game at home under the horrible weather conditions, and then go to Buffalo and win on the road—that's already pretty damn special. And I know you guys have a high standards there. Um, you mentioned one thing. You mentioned was at least I was drawing this from it was about the arm angles that Mahomes has used throughout his career. Do you think he's had an, an impact on other teams not trying to coach that out of their quarterbacks? Yeah, it seems like it, right? If you look at a lot of the quarterbacks that have come into the league the past few years, like and, and like I don't want to give Mahomes all the credit. Matthew Stafford was throwing very similarly since he got to the NFL, but it almost seemed like it was only out of necessity. Whereas now, even with Stafford and the Rams or all these new quarterbacks coming into the NFL, it seems like it's almost just completely acceptable to do on any given down within the structure of the play, within rhythm, as long as you can make the throw. It doesn't matter if you have to bend the arm angle. It might actually be appreciated to bend the arm angle to create a different throwing window. And I do think a lot of that transition of it's okay in spurts to, oh no, we actually want this to now, hey, let's kind of build the offense around your ability to do this a little bit, did kind of start with Andy Reid and the way they were able to weaponize Patrick Mahomes' ability to do that so frequently, and now you were seeing it spread to around the league, guys that were in the league before are starting to incorporate it into their game. All the new quarterbacks that are coming in, it's really hard to find a top 10 pick at quarterback here coming into the NFL out of the draft that can't do things like that because that's just what everybody wants these days. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's definitely been cool to see. I, I, you mentioned Stafford. I'm thinking back to the Rams game here in Baltimore and Stafford did come out with a, a Dan Quisenberry throw where it was not even necessary. So you Kansas City guy, I know you could get that reference. Yeah. But anyway, it was was, you know, it was probably below three o'clock. The throw came from or it was right at three o'clock at about the lowest. And, and there was nobody in front of him. Nobody in front of him nope. at the time. It's like, what are you what are you trying to show us here? What do you say? Anyway. Uh, Mahomes, obviously one of the, um, 
polarizing players in the league for for multiple reasons probably but but certainly a a guy who uh a lot of a lot of teams are concerned about getting the benefit of penalty calls like Brady was but I think a lot of that is just a you know a function of um uh being a good quarterback you uh tend to put yourself in better positions to draw penalties and whatnot um, do you buy any of the stuff about Mahomes or Allen, for that matter, being a uh, taking advantage of sliding, for example, or of other situations in the pocket to draw additional penalties? Uh, I don't I don't think so in particular. So I wish I had the stat off the top of my head. Right. Uh, but I saw it after the uh, wild card round of the playoffs. Mahomes actually doesn't draw that many like personal foul penalties um, against him. I think Lamar Jackson was the only quarterback that was lower, like on a per touch kind of basis than Mahomes. Wow. So, like he doesn't draw that many compared to somebody like a Josh Allen, who was up near the top of the league in terms of per touch, getting, you know, a personal foul call. So I, he doesn't get a lot of them. But I will say this of uh, the way. Patrick Mahomes moves, whether it's scrambling or in the pocket, he is constantly creating like this aura of he's about to go down or he's about to stop. And I think he does get confused or trick defenders to stop trying to chase him. So you will countless times see him get near the sideline and just the his forms, his biomechanical running style, I think tricks people into thinking he's always about to slide or he's always about to step out of bounds and he'll scamper for an extra five to 10 yards just on the move because that's kind of what he does. Um, so I, I do think he gets a little bit of a benefit because people are afraid to hit him to get the flags, but ultimately he hasn't actually pulled that many down in his NFL career, which is surprising when you consider how often he holds the ball or is scrambling in and out of traffic, just kind of weaving around. And then in the pocket, it's more, he, he will make a throw. He will sit in there. He'll make a throw and take a hit to do so. But I do think he's more so good at avoiding the big hit. He will rather sidestep a play and turn it into a you know playground play for a lack of better terms than take a big shot and you know have risk that affecting the throw. He would prefer to trust his legs and his arm on the move rather than trying to just beat the pressure based on timing and take the big shot at the end. All right, great stuff. Why don't we talk about the offensive line a little bit? Take us through from left to right. I know a big injury on tap here at left guard. Tell us about all of that. Yeah, so starting on the left side, Donovan Smith uh, has come back into the starting lineup because a rookie, Wanya Morris, who had replaced Donovan Smith because of an injury, then had a concussion. And it looks like Donovan Smith has taken like his starting job back at left tackle. He's played really well the last two games compared to, you know, a, a slow stretch in the middle of the year. Next to him is Joe Tooney, who is still, you know, the all pro left guard that he has been for the majority of his career. He is dealing with a pec strain, though, so it's a little up in the air if he's going to play. He has not had surgery. It is not a complete tear. It sounds like he is going to try to give it a go, but we don't know how it's going to go. If he can't play, Nick Allegretti has been on the team for five years now as a backup. He has had plenty of experience in and out of the lineup for this team. Obviously, there would be a step back and play at left guard, but you wouldn't anticipate, I don't think, a guy coming in and not knowing the playbook or at least being on a somewhat similar page to the guys around him and then going across Creed Humphrey at center. Trey Smith at right guard, Juwan Taylor at right tackle. The weakness of this unit is the tackles. The strength is the interior offensive line. The tackles are playing better here in the playoffs. The offensive line has actually been really good these first two weeks, even though you know the Miami Dolphins were a little depleted at the time. They controlled the line of scrimmage in the run game. The tackles were performing better against the pass, but the strength is always going to be those interior three, especially when Joe Tooney's playing. It's really difficult to get pressure up the middle. It's really difficult to confuse those guys because they've just played so well with each other for the, you know, the two, three years now. 
So the Ravens like to do a lot of uh, matching up a three-tech on a guard directly. Obviously, Justin Matabike's had a big year. Uh, is that a concern at all without Tooney, or is it even a concern anyway because of guard on Matabike kind of matchups? Yeah, and so that's the thing. I feel like you got to test Tooney, right? No matter what, if he plays or if he doesn't, or if it's Nick Allegretti as backup, you got to give that left side a test and just see can Tooney with an injured pec uh, hold up against Matabuke, who's had a great season? Can a backup Nick Allegretti can he handle that one on one matchup for the whole game, or is it going to be a destructive force? You got to try it, but then. If it's Tooney or if Allegretti is giving you a good go, I will say earlier in the year, teams had some success going one-on-one with Trey Smith off the right side, especially with more athletic three techs. Um, He doesn't have the best lateral mobility uh, of all offensive guards. He's very athletic if you're pulling him or getting him out into space, but you just put him in a phone booth and try to have him work side to side. He can be got. It hasn't happened yet in the playoffs. He did a great job against Ed Oliver, who is another fantastic defensive tackle. Yeah, so he's playing better, but there have been times in the past where Trey Smith has been got by more athletic three tech. So that is the thing that uh, if he is going to have a dip in production or if you just want to kind of pick your matchup on which one you're feeling on a play, that is a possibility. I do have to say Creed Humphrey is excellent when he's going to offer help those. Like if you're going to go that route, you have to make sure you occupy Creed Humphrey because he does a great job peeling off if you know his his man isn't coming, if he is not going to be occupied directly by a rusher or if they could let him pass it off to the left guard or right guard, he will get across the field and he will help really, really well for those uh, guards on either side. Humphrey, an, a, an amazing player. And and the first chance I got to get a look at him was when he was playing, I believe, with four seniors who were all going in the draft at Oklahoma, including Ben Powers. And so Ben Powers, I'm looking at, and actually Creed Humphrey had some footwork issues way back then. Uh, boy, was he the best prospect. I think he was already 325 coming into Oklahoma. So he was already huge. And uh, boy, has he been a great player. Yeah, he really has. And like, I remember that he was on that the Oklahoma offensive line that I think had what three or four guys get drafted in the one year and Creed Humphrey was an underclassman. So he couldn't mm-hmm. even come out. But like, you're sitting there like, I'm not sure that he's not the best guy out there. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, he goes on and the Chiefs are lucky to snag him later on. And it's been very well. He's coming off probably his best game of the year uh, against the Bills. He was exceptional. The Chiefs weaponized him a lot in the run game, something they hadn't done much this year. He's always had the capability, but they actually pulled him out around on a handful of plays to kind of run a center pull on their power play. They were getting him out in space a lot. They were kind of trapping down and letting him come around and get to the second level. So they threw some new wrinkles into the run game based on what he could do. And we know it's always there. It's just the Chiefs really like to slow play their run game and save some of the more exotic looks for big matchups like the playoffs and stuff like that. That is always a good thing. And obviously one of the one of the this is a great matchup of coordinators on both sides of the ball in here. We think the Ravens have two great coordinators. They're certainly getting head coaching interviews right now. And the Chiefs for many years have had an unbelievable coaching staff and coaching tree under Andy Reid. Uh, obviously with Spags there, it's it's not quite you're – not, you're not growing a, a fertile new bush there with Spagnuolo, I don't think. Maybe he's still got a head coaching gig in him at some point. But what, what do you talk, – talk about the two coordinators. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'll start with the offensive side first, I guess, with Matt Nagy. I, 
it's Andy Reid's offense, so you never know really how much the offensive coordinator, not what they're doing. They're clearly very busy. They very clearly play a large role in, in the team, but Andy Reid's still in control of everything on the offensive side of the ball. So Matt Nagy comes in last year off of his head coaching gig with the Chicago Bears. He comes back to Kansas City, and he's the passing game coordinator and a QB coach. Eric Bieniemy moves on after a few cycles of getting passed over for a head coach job, and Matt Nagy now slides into the offensive coordinator role. There could be something to glean there. Maybe there's some tendencies from time to time where Matt Nagy is maybe a little bit heavier on the screen game or the jet sweep game than he is running than Eric Bieniemy would have been. But again, at the end of the day, it's Andy Reid's control. So I don't know if there's a whole lot to take away from that adjustment at offensive coordinator other than the fact that Matt Nagy is familiar with this team he came back to it it sprinkled in a few changes but nothing wholesale then on the flip side I, I can't say enough good things about Steve Spagnuolo I, it's been such a fantastic hire for the Chiefs they were coming off of a, a couple years with Bob Sutton this team had a lot of turnovers they would have a lot of sacks but their defense couldn't stop anybody it ultimately loses them an AFC championship game with the Ravens on it risking a chance to go to the Super Bowl they go out and they hire Steve Spagnuolo, who Bengals, comes in. Right? You mean? Oh, so this was the Patriots back in 2018. Oh, the, oh I'm um, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this is right before they hired Steve Spagnuolo in. They they go from Bob Sutton, who has one defensive style, as Patrick Mahomes' first year. They have Bob Sutton. They get rid of him. They bring in Steve Spagnuolo, and he's just it's a complete change of the defense from that moment on. It's not only about sacking the quarterback. It's not just a four-man pass rush. It's not only the turnovers. He just throws absolutely everything at you at any given time. The entire mantra of what he does is breaking his own tendencies, and he turns it up every year in the playoffs. This team has had countless average defenses at best throughout the regular season. Then you hit the playoffs, and oh, now they're top 10. Now they're top five because it's these game-specific matchups. Well, this year, he actually has a bunch of talent to work with. They have a top 10, top five defense all year long. And now you're getting the, you know, single game matchup, Steve Spagnuolo coming out of it. It's just been so much fun to watch. He has the guys playing exceptionally well. And he just, he seems to always know in these big games, which strings to pull at the right time. That'll, that'll be one of the really interesting um, stories, understories of this, of this game. Obviously a lot of the, a lot of it is going to be, people will be focused on what's on the field, but that chess match going on from the sidelines is going to be a lot of fun. Um, The wide receiver core has gotten, uh, you know, a fair amount of fair criticism and maybe some unfair criticism as well in terms of what's happened. Talk us through the, the players there and what their roles are. Yeah, it feels like the Chiefs last year, they traded Tyreek Hill away and they brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster and kind of tried to replace Tyreek Hill with a bunch of pieces and it worked. They go and win a Super Bowl. Like you can't really say it didn't work. So it felt like this year they almost doubled down on that strategy of we can just get a bunch of pieces, fit them together and 15 will go figure out how to make this work. Well, the problem is when Travis Kelsey at tight end takes, I mean, even just a half step back this year, all of a sudden you get a very uneven offense that sometimes can look good, sometimes can look bad. So you get inconsistency from Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They've cycled in various slot receivers slash gadget guys and Kadarius Toney to McCole Hardman to Richie James. They just can't seem to get anybody to find their footing in that kind of Tyreek Hill replacement role. And that's that's been a difficult thing. We just saw McCole Hardman fumble the ball out of the end zone. Well, actually, he fumbled on both of his touches in this game against the Bills, <laughs> but loses one out of the end zone. Kadarius Toney had multiple drops this year, directly kind of leading to interceptions and losses throughout the season. So they just struggled to find replacements for the guys they've lost over the years. However, Rasheed Rice, rookie out of SMU, has stepped up big for them down the stretch and in the playoffs. He's kind of 
really developed into a number two option behind Travis Kelsey for them. He's exceptional with the ball in his hands. His route tree is pretty limited. He's going to run a lot of crossers and he's going to catch a lot of screens, but you have to be ready to tackle him as soon as he gets the ball. Cause if you give him even an inkling of space, you know, he's an explosive play waiting to happen. They still balance MVS, Justin Watson on the outside they, they are making the best they can out of this wide receiver room, but you can tell even when the offense is flowing, there's still some inconsistencies there. There's still, I don't want to say a lack of trust. They've worked through that, but there is a little bit lack of like uh, anticipation on some throws that you wouldn't, that you have seen in the past Mahomes make a little earlier, or if it's going to Travis Kelsey, it leaves his hands. They do. He does like to wait and see where some of these wide receivers are going to break before fitting the ball in there. Thankfully, he has the arm to make up for it. And we saw last week, MVS finally made some plays working downfield. That's an element of this passing game that's been non-existent all year is like a vertical receiving weapon. So if he can catch the ball again downfield like he was last year, that does change a lot of how you have to defend this Chiefs offense going forward. So Rasheed Rice is at 9.2 yards per target. And then mostly, I know you know a lot of this, but but the Ravens fans who are listening to this won't necessarily 9.2, which is terrific. Uh, that would be one of the high, really high numbers in Ravens history. Uh, 8.7 for Justin Watson, which is still pretty darn good. And then 8.1 for Travis Kelsey seems like a little bit of a step, a step back in terms of yards per target, which I think is the most important receiving stat. Um, has there been good distribution of the football this year in terms of uh, there? One of the things I, I talk about in a theoretical sense, I assume this is true, but I've never really been able to find a way to prove it, is there's a decreased value to each increased target on the margin. So it's kind of decreasing marginal returns. You think about it for when you go to a receiver too often and he becomes your bailout guy. Has Kelsey had, has Kelsey had more of those targets this year or less given the, 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 the paucity of wide receivers? So, yeah, I think at different times throughout the year, it's it's always been different. I think, um, and I, you know, somebody somewhere a lot smarter than me that loves data a lot more than me, I'm sure will or has done a full study in this. But just looking at the Chiefs, so it's like completely antidotal here. Um, early in the year, the Chiefs are trying to spread the ball around to everybody. And like in theory, that's good. But at some point kind of here too, I think it, you get to having too many guys. And I think the Chiefs wide receiver rotation was too big. Too many guys were seeing snaps. You can't play six wide receivers and have all of them play a handful of snaps and get into any kind of rhythm. And so I think to start the year, they kind of targets were spraying across the board. They were having trouble getting into rhythm. The middle of the year, they tried to force feed Travis Kelsey like you would normally expect. He comes back from injury to start the season. He's starting to feel a little better. You try to force feed him targets, but he's a half step slower. And whether that was the injury, whether that is the age, whether it's just, you know, how defenses can play him because they aren't afraid of the rest of the receivers, he clearly can't handle 12 to 15 targets every single game if he's getting a lot of attention. So down the stretch, I feel like they've done a really good job of managing that by incorporating more Rasheed Rice, by incorporating the running backs a little bit more often in the receiving game. Like they have found, I think, a good distribution of how they want to work the targets. It's still Travis Kelsey, but Rasheed Rice is right behind him on the pecking order and they will manufacture ways to get him the football they will call plays specifically for him and then they will funnel it around everything else after those two guys based on essentially who gets open by the way if you didn't really buy into the notion that travis kelsey is pretty much not pretty much he's already in the hall of fame based on on what he's accomplished the guy has never had a passer rating throwing to him of less than 109.6 it's 113.3 this year it's 119.5 for his career uh, and even Mark Andrews, who you know is is Lamar's number one target, and for good reason, um, has not been consistently over a hundred in his career. 
in terms of uh, of uh, passer rating throwing to him. So that's really a remarkable stat I find for for Kelsey. Yeah, it, you his stats are crazy right now. And then now that we're in the playoffs and people are really starting to dig in, it, it's even going any farther. I think I saw um, this after this past game. He's now got fourteen playoff games with over seventy five receiving yards and that's the tight end that gets the most in NFL history. The second most is Jerry Rice with 12. So like, that's just, that's a crazy thing to think about as a tight end. He just, the playoffs come around. He's just almost unstoppable in terms of just trying to get up to 75 yards. Obviously Mahomes and Kelsey have now passed Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski for the most touchdown, like hookups uh, between two players in NFL history. It's just, they do so well together. And if Travis Kelsey can continue to ramp up his play, like he has once the playoffs started, that gets again, a little scary for opposing defenses because throughout most of the year, you don't want to say he's been bad, but he had not been the Travis Kelsey he had been in the years past. He wasn't the guy that was, on tracking for 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns and this completely unstoppable force. He was just a really, really good tight end, which was a little step back. And I think that took the Chiefs a little while to adjust to as the year went along. Now, I, I did notice from the last game, counting up the snaps, 50 total offensive snaps in, in terms of game book, it doesn't really matter, and 90 total tight end snaps, which means they're using 1.8 tight ends per play. I, I know that the Chiefs have used a fair amount of 12, but is there a lot of 13 in there also that is skewing those numbers? Yeah, so the Chiefs are actually top 10 in thir- 12 and 13 personnel usage uh, mm-hmm. on the year. They do like to go heavy. That's where they really like to dig into and get to some of their deep play action stuff. Like I mentioned, they've, they've struggled to push the ball downfield, and some of that has been offensive line play early in the year. Some of it has been a lack of trust in wide receivers. So like they have been trying to figure out how to do it, and like their go-to move has been to go heavier personnel. That's when they'll actually get under center. They'll go hard play action and try to push down the field. And I think we've seen it in these first two preseason game or uh, playoff games here is they're trying to lean into 12. They're trying to lean into 13, get a little bit more protection and then push the ball down the field. It helps that both teams they've played have had injuries at the linebacker position. You know, you're putting, you're forcing them to play into base, play backup linebackers across the board. That makes it a little bit more, I don't want to say justifiable, but appealing to always go heavy. But Andy Reid does like to get into that heavier personnel uh, in these big moments. Now, this is where I was going exactly with that, was, is what you're just basically bringing up. In facing the Ravens, they face, face a, a second-team All-Pro and a first-team All-Pro at inside linebacker, and they face probably the most unique slot corner defender in the entire game, the best horizontal defender in the entire game for my money. Um, Do Chiefs analysts look at this as an exceptionally difficult matchup and game plan to create against that particular group of players, I, you know, in, in general, the Ravens secondary is is good, but it's but it's not at the very top level where it's outstanding is at slot corner with with Hamilton there. Yeah, that is where this matchup in particular, it gets definitely dicey um, for the Chiefs is they've been living in the short to intermediate range the past two seasons. And a lot of that's been over the middle of the field. And so you look at kind of where the Ravens strength has been in the coverage unit. It's it's across that second level. It's from the slot across the middle of the field, even some safeties rolling down like that's kind of where you are a little bit more worried trying to push the football, trying to get guys open. So it, it is a difficult matchup from that sense. At the end of the day, though, Andy Reid's got a lot of, I think, experience of trying to find weaknesses or 
lack of strengths and defenses to exploit. And not that there's a lot for the Ravens to even find, right? I don't want to say that, but we saw against Miami, the chiefs essentially almost only threw the ball over the middle of the field. Then they come out against the bills and they run, spend the entire first half, first three quarters and condensed tight splits and only throwing the ball towards the boundary on these deep corner routes or stretching and flooding everything to the sideline. So you go and look at what the chiefs have done in the playoffs. It's been two entirely different game plans to attack, you know, where they thought there was going to be space. So I do imagine there will be a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure out how do we handle Hamilton? How do we occupy queen? How do we keep Smith out of the way while we try to find where we want to attack? But yeah, the Ravens are very well suited to take away the chiefs kind of biggest strengths or what they want to do when they are passing the football. I I have felt by the way, the same way about um, what the chiefs present on the defensive side of the ball, but we'll get to that a little later in terms of some, some very quality, uh, quality coverage players. Um, so, so let's talk next about the running backs. Isaiah Pacheco obviously has taken over a, a very significant lead role in this, but <laughs> talk about the group yeah. as a whole. Yes. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco is kind of, it's, it's a running back one right now. It, it, I think it entered the year. He was clearly Pacheco was clearly the guy, but Jarek McKinnon, you know, the veteran guy, the third down running back, good receiver, great in blitz pickup, great in pass protection. He gets hurt down the stretch. And I don't think he's going to be able to come back for the playoffs. Well, definitely not this game. Even it, even if the chiefs were to play in the super bowl, I think he's out. So they've kind of had to figure it out. And Clyde Ridley-Lair, for you know, old first-round pick that has not panned out the way they wanted to after a hip injury as a rookie, he's filled in nicely. He does a good job in pass protection. He has a couple decent runs to his name down the stretch. But it's the Isaiah Pacheco show, especially when they want to run the football. It's about getting him downhill. His vision isn't the best. His patience is almost non-existence. But if there is a crease, he is going to hit it 100 miles an hour. And no defender really wants to be on the other end of that as hard as he runs right now. And he makes it, he does a good job picking up extra yards, falling forward. And the Chiefs and Andy Reid are very inconsistent about leaning on the run game. They will get away from it the moment they have an inkling or of a reason to do so. But when they stick to it, we saw it against the Eagles in the Super Bowl last year. We saw it against the Bills this past weekend. If they stick to it, it is hard to defend their passing game when it's clicking and still have, you know, the right guys in the box be able to fit up the run for what the Chiefs can do. It just takes some time. So he has been a very good pairing with this passing attack, getting Pacheco downhill uh, moving forward. Is it is it the 12 and 13, which has allowed the Chiefs to maintain their multiple uh, offensive looks, meaning they can they can, you can either run or pass out of it. And it's obviously it's the most difficult to scheme up if you're a defensive <laughs> coordinator is when the other team puts 12 or 13. The Ravens, I think, are uniquely suited <laughs> to deal with it, given Hamilton, who's, who's a, like a linebacker who sheds blocks extremely well and is a slot corner and the perfect answer for 12 personnel. I, I can't necessarily translate that to 13 and whether that means base um, there and you're moving Hamilton off the line of scrimmage into more of a linebacker role. Um, but, it, but it does seem like the Ravens are fairly well suited to deal with 12 and 13, whereas I don't think there are a whole lot of other teams out there who have that guy, the big nickel they really love to go against the Chiefs. Yeah, that'll absolutely help uh, for the Chiefs run game. Like, so they do still spend the pre- predominantly in 11 personnel out of the gun. And that really limits what you can do in your run game, especially when you have Travis Kelsey for who is great as he is. And he's an underrated blocker, I think, for what like fans of other teams think he is. But he's not a dominant blocker, especially at this point in his career. So you do get a little limited on what you can do in the run game out of 11 personnel and the shotgun with this team, especially because you're not going to use Mahomes as a pull threat more than once in a game. Like that's not part of the run game. So you're you're very limited. And sometimes the Chiefs get stuck in this heavy 
inside zone, outside zone, occasionally split zone run game plan. And that's when we've seen this run game struggle the most. However, they get into 12, they get into 13. Not only do they still have the run pass option out of it, but now they usually start dipping into a lot more of their gap stuff. They start running more power and more counter. And that's where their run game really starts to take off. So they, they still like to throw the ball out of this heavier personnel. They will do it just as much as any other team in the league. But when they do that, that's when their run game really plays into their own strengths. They let this offensive line who has some big, strong guys get downhill, connect on the bodies and not just try to make all their lateral steps and get all these cutoff, uh, cut off angles and everything going down. So the heavy personnel does help with that. We've talked about it, though. The Ravens defense is well suited for it. I think most teams have had more success defending the Chiefs out of these heavier personnel and their base personnel package mm-hmm. this year. I don't I don't know if I read too much into that. I think that you still probably it's Patrick Mahomes. I would much rather be a nickel against the Chiefs 12 or 13 personnel, especially if I'm the Ravens with Hamilton. I, I don't think I want to go into base. I don't want to add more big bodies on the field. I would just, you know, kind of stick with my nickel, especially if it's a heavier nickel like that. But I do say the numbers do say teams have been slightly better out of base defense kind of against the Chiefs heavy personnel. I saw the tweet from Aaron Shots today. Of, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, that's where you got it to. It, it, uh, it does seem that way. And, it, and, and my immediate thought is, OK, that's that might be ideal for some situations, but it's kind of a pick your poison situation. Obviously, if you go to base defense, you're, you're going to give Kelsey an opportunity uh, oftentimes against a strong safety. And and yeah. that's not ideal either. So, um, you know, you're, you're 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 having to decide. The Ravens have gone very heavy in terms of giving up more yards than they ever have before in their history in the run game. Um, and they've, they've also had the second lowest pass yards per play they've ever given up uh which has been an unbelievably good trade-off for them so they've they've you know they've been a yard and a half plus or something like that versus versus the pass and about half a yard worse versus the run so it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out and uh, and i i don't doubt for a second that we're going to see something different from reed again based on on what you're describing that's going to have to force mcdonald to react here in this game yeah, and I think I think the Ravens again. We talk about you know their defense being well suited to stop the Chiefs, and I think even the numbers that you're talking about there, and just yeah, they might surrender a little bit more versus the run, but the payoff has been an even bigger increase against the pass. That's not what the Chiefs want to hear. They're running the ball to set up their pass. They are never going to. They will. They will run the ball. If you can't stop it, there will be a driver to a game where Andy Reid will run the ball five straight times but it's only a matter of time before he gets away from it again, trying to throw the ball. So you just have to withstand that rushing attack as long as you can. And if you can do that out of nickel, especially with that personnel group against, you know, the heavier personnel that she's tried to deploy, I think that is going to be the smartest way to go about it. The thing is though, you can't, you can't let Pacheco rip off some big runs and he does have some explosives to his name. It's like, that's where they really start going when they rip off the explosive runs. They don't really go fast afterwards, but it does seem like the offense snowballs pretty well when he starts getting some of those, just like any offense in the NFL would. So that you got to keep the explosives in check, try not to overcommit too much to stop the run because the chiefs will stop it themselves. Eventually it's just, they can find success if you are not going to handle them pulling or throwing a, a run scheme that they haven't thrown at many teams this year they will bring out something for a game specific and we've seen zone insert last year this year all of a sudden we got the center pulling on all these different power plays against the bills they will throw something a little different for this game that they'll run four or five times and you gotta have the answer on the fly but once you do that they will go back to throwing the ball very quickly yeah all right all right great stuff let's flip over to the defensive side here uh and the first question i always like uh, uh like to ask is 
when down and distance is the major consideration, meaning you're on third down and it's, say, six plus, what do the Chiefs like to present in terms of personnel on the field? everything it's a, it's a Steve Spagnuolo thing right like he just they are gonna mostly go with they'll stay mostly in nickel I guess if it's gonna be third and six but they will run some three three five looks they will go out there they will keep two defensive linemen out there and put three linebackers if they are all healthy um, Willie Gay left the Bills game early on uh, it sounds like he is going to play in this game so like they do mix it up a lot I would say this team predominantly likes to play out of nickel dime they will even go with a three safety dime to when they have everybody healthy so like they do mix up their personnel a lot they mix up their fronts a lot anytime you get into a passing situation steve spagnuolo's eyes light up because that is i i swear three-fourths of his playbook is just confusing looks that only work on passing down so and that's why it becomes a huge deal to stay ahead of the sticks against this defense because it's really hard to pin down what exactly they're going to throw at you in any given case Okay. Yeah. I, I, that that was in, I was on my list of things to ask, but uh, (laughs) I appreciate you getting, getting at that right at that point. Let's talk about the defensive line. Usually I'm interested in not only hearing about who are the players, but how, how, what's the philosophical rotation of players? A lot of four threes, they don't really do as much rotation, but talk about the chiefs here. So it's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, Joe Coleman has come in and kind of reworked how this defensive line um, functions a little bit. So Chris Jones is a clear star of the show, and they have built this defensive line out of Chris Jones. If he wants a matchup against an offensive tackle, and this is speaking for a passing down, if he wants a matchup against a specific offensive tackle, he's going to get it. He has the power to move a defensive end inside. He has the power just to line up kind of where he wants. It's the J.J. Watt treatment. That's kind of how they built this defensive line around Chris Jones. And then you start working across. They just have a bunch of bigger bodied, strong defensive end. Charles O'Menehue, Mike Dana, George Karloftis. All these guys can play inside or outside on various different downs. So you will find a lot of defensive ends inside and, you know, your NASCAR type packages. They'll keep Chris Jones out there on the field, but they move them around a lot. They will overload a side because they're going to get all these different funky blitz looks and mugging different gaps. They are going to give you a lot to digest. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just kind of they're trying to mix guys up. They're trying to get Chris Jones his best one on one matchup on any given play. Everybody else is a secondary piece. Everybody else is trying to set him up and it's worked for the most part this season for them. So that is something to keep an eye on as Chris Jones moves around. That means he's kind of picking his matchups that he wants and it could be on the interior. It could be versus tackle. He's actually been a little better as a rusher, as a defensive end this year, than as a defensive tackle. So that is something to keep, you know, in the back of your mind as, as the game goes on, you start seeing him kick out more, but that rotation of the defensive ends and Chris Jones kind of move around they're, they're thin on defensive tackles right now. Derek Nottie had was hurt and missed the last game. So they're having to use Mike Pinnell from the practice squad, Matt Dickerson, Tershawn Wharton, even like these guys, they're going to be deep tackles. They want to get them off the field as much as possible. They are just out there to eat snaps and hopefully slow down the run game so that they can play as many defensive ends and the guys that they see as better pass rushers and start moving everybody around. I, I noticed that Wharton had played about a two to one pass to run snap rate, whereas the other one you mentioned, Nadi, had had played, I believe, more run than pass, which is unusual that you would have a guy like Wharton, in my opinion out there for so many obvious passing snaps. Is, is there some logic to it? 
he's just undersized to be a full-time run player. Like he's quick, um, but he's a little undersized. And so when Chris Jones is getting a, a break just altogether, they do like to keep Tershawn Wharton in there. And he's been working back from an injury last year. So it took about like, you know, halfway through this year where he really started to look as explosive as he had in the past. Um, but he's, you know, yeah, he's an undersized penetrating defensive tackle that I wouldn't say he's a super dangerous pass rusher, but that's probably his strength more so than stopping the run. Whereas like a Derek Nottie or a Mike Pinnell, who seems to be taking most of his snaps are pure run pluggers in the middle of the field. So the, the Ravens certainly look for run weaknesses, even with Roman gone, they're, they're still very much <laughs> a, I, yeah. I, I, well, they're a run first team because they're a run last team. You know what I mean by that? They, they run because they win. Um, but, yeah. but they, they, uh, they do, you know, they still love to run the football and still like to find those matchups that really make sense for them. Um, while the, well, the, the run game is, is a lot of misdirection basis to it. So it's not a typical gap or power steam that I think teams are normally set up to stop. Um, do you think the, the chiefs and I'll ask the question specifically, do they do a lot of things to offset their own perceived weakness as a run defense with run blitzes and other things to get players into the backfield and otherwise sacrifice bodies from level two to plug the run. As the game goes along, yes. Uh, if they start out, they're gonna. I'm not gonna say play passive, but they won't go in too far into overselling on any scrape exchanges, run blitzes. Like they are gonna try to fit up the run in a traditional sense to start. And if it's not working, as the game goes on, specifically Nick Bolton, you will start seeing coming on a lot more run blitzes through the interior. You will get guys like Willie Gay, Drew Tranquil, Leo Chanel, the linebacker group that are coming downhill or. They've played a couple five-man surfaces where they will present you with almost a bare-looking front and get one of these bigger, strong linebackers on the edge. And they've done a pretty good job setting and holding contain against offensive linemen throughout the year in spurts. And not not long-term, but they will throw looks out there like that as the game goes on. So it's just, it's an ever-changing thing. I... I want to say this very like, you know, clearly the Ravens might have a lot of success to start the game running the football right down the Chiefs throat. And it might look like it's going to be super easy all game long. Mm -hmm. There will come a point where adjustments start to happen and you'll just like all of a sudden be like, oh, wait, now it's getting a little bit more difficult. I think the Bills ran into that as the game went along. In the fourth quarter, I believe James Cook had more negative rushing yards or more negative yard runs that went for negative yards needed positive yards. Whereas all up till that point, they were gashing the Chiefs on the ground. And all of a sudden it's because linebackers are coming in all of a sudden you're getting gap exchanges from defensive linemen and Steve Spagnuolo just kind of waits and waits he holds off as long as he can to throw out these big changes and he kind of waits until they either need it or he starts to feel like the game is getting away so they won't do a lot to start I don't think they will kind of try to play it traditional but they will adjust as it goes on and it's just going to be hard to pinpoint exactly when that comes uh, throughout the game. There, there certainly have been times in Ravens history where they've gone into playoffs match and matchups and the run was something that they could lean on a little bit or they thought they could lean on a little bit. And usually smaller teams like the Colts in particular, a team I remember doing this to the Ravens effectively, um, have been able to run blitz and really understand their own limitations very well. And it sounds like um, that unfortunately might be the case with a, with a DC like Spagnol Spags. Um, uh, and uh, we'll see. We'll see, I guess. Off ball. Take us off ball with the linebackers there. Yeah, and you know, we mentioned him a little bit there, but I, I, the leader of the group is Nick Bolton. He is their mic. He is the play caller. He's the energy guy. He is the guy that kind of gets it all situated up in the front. He, he has some very splash plays, but he can definitely be gotten and taken advantage of in space. And we've seen the Bills in two matchups now 
try to find ways to isolate him, whether it's against a running back in coverage, whether it's trying to chase down on a wide pitch play or something like that, or just even having a guard quick climb to him and have him beat them to the spot. He is someone you can take advantage of in space, but you stay between the box. He does a good job coming downhill. He will recognize plays quickly. He IDs them fast. And especially as the game goes long, if you start, if Steve Spagnuolo starts like letting him come downhill early and not necessarily read out the whole play, but just rather picking a gap or two and trying not to necessarily shoot it, but get into one, he's good at sifting over the top of his defensive front to fill up two gaps while playing downhill. So he will make some plays, but you can also get him if you find the right way to threat uh, to threaten him in space or laterally. Whereas on the other side, Drew Tranquil has been a huge addition for this team this year. The Chiefs have not played him as a full, full-time linebacker yet. He played a lot more against the Bills because Willie Gay got hurt. But he's been exceptional for them filling in for Nick Bolton during injuries or when they get him out there on the field. He does have a little bit more athleticism. When you do run to his side, I think the Chiefs have done an excellent job of having him come downhill, wad up the, the run play, hit a lead blocker right at the hole to allow other guys to come free. So Drew Tranquil has been exceptional. He's made good plays in coverage as well. I would peg him a little bit more as the coverage linebacker although he's been good versus the run Nick Bolton's a little bit more of a run stuffer and then Willie Gay um, is going to start he is if the Chiefs go with a spy on Lamar Jackson it'll be Willie Gay and it's hard to say what it looks like because he got hurt last week against the Bills they had no one to play as a spy on Josh Allen because he was the guy that was going to be dedicated to do it I don't think it's a good matchup for Willie Gay I'll be very clear but he is a freak athlete himself he is very fast he is very big he is the guy that will most likely try to spy Lamar Jackson if I were to bet. And if not, he's a 250-pound linebacker that can run, you know, a 4-4. And so he covers a lot of ground. It's just he is easily gotten by play action or misdirection at times. Do, do they have anyone else that they would consider bringing up into what would effectively be a dime roll to replace Gay if they don't feel like he's up to the task physically this week? So is there another guy? Is there, they have a safety who could do it. Yeah, so, and this is where it gets a little tricky. So against the Bills, they had they lost Willie Gay and Mike Edwards in the very first series. So they yep. got down a li- starting linebacker who that was going to be their spy for Josh Allen and a starting safety who was already filling in for another safety that was hurt. And so they only safeties were Deion Bush, who was coming off the practice squad mid-year, and then a rookie, Shamari Connor, who, yeah, he's a safety, but he played slot DB, cornerback, safety, linebacker at Virginia Tech. So he's still learning the position. I don't know what their plan was going to be for a super mobile quarterback because I think the two guys that kind of hinged on what they were going to do got hurt. So if Willie Gay is unable to play, but Mike Edwards is back from concussion protocol, Shamari Connor might be a guy they put in that role. He, they've played him a lot as an overhang. They have blitzed him a lot. They like to keep him around the line of scrimmage more so than deep. And he's a good athlete, a good tackler. Being a rookie, that's a lot of pressure to put on him though. So with that week of practice, I wonder if it would be a Drew Tranquil would just take over the complete Willie Gay role and they just didn't get those reps in in practice expecting Willie Gay to be healthy. Um, I think those are your three most likely candidates because you got to, I mean, you got to have an athlete in that spot or it's just going to completely be a useless endeavor. Um, and even then you're going to be out athleted regardless. But like those are the three guys I think that would take over that role um, and, and as a spy. Okay. All right. Very good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the defensive backfield. Obviously one of the Chiefs real strength is at corner. Uh, Legereus Steeds had a penalty riddled, but excellent season in terms of yards per target. Uh, talk about him first. Uh, Legereus Steeds has been so good this year. Uh, and it's, 
it's a little tough because there's a lot of penalties, but when you look at the ultimate yards they've lost from penalties, I think he's only lost like 70 yards from all these penalties. Like, yeah, there's been a lot of penalties, but they've all been rather short penalties. Um, there's been a handful of declined ones as well, but like he's getting with the line. First downs though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they are. And like, they matter. And like, I'm not trying to say they don't matter, but I think from the chief's perspective and Steve Spagnuolo, he's willing to accept the illegal hands to the face from Legereus Sneed on a play that gives up a first down to set a tone of like, this is how we're going to play you all game long. They did that to Justin Jefferson and the Vikings just, you know, early in this year. And you can just kind of tell it gets under receiver skins and stuff like that. So Legereus Sneed's been excellent. He's going to be very physical. He's going to be very handsy. And if you have refs, like we have gotten for most of the playoffs that are going to allow it, it's very difficult to find space against him because he is going to beat you up. He's going to hit you. If you have the ball, he's going to hit you coming off the line of scrimmage. He's been excellent as a boundary corner for them. He's kind of traveled when the Chiefs go man coverage. He's traveled with wide receiver ones. I don't know if he'll do that with the Ravens just because I don't know if he's the best. Zay Flowers is like a great matchup for him, just being a little quicker. Um, and great with change of direction. Legereus Need is a little bit longer of a guy. He does a little bit better with pure outside receivers. So I'm intrigued to see how they try to match him up, if it's an Odell thing, where they will move him around. But he has been excellent kind of manning one side of the Chiefs defense. Okay, so that, that was my question. Is he a chase guy Is he a, or or is he a stay left corner or right corner? Yeah, no, he's been a chase guy. I think he has probably had the highest like uh, follow rate this year, at least uh, you know late in the season, about three quarters away through the last time I saw he had one of the highest follow rates. They will pick a receiver and he will kind of just track them around for the majority of the game and they, they will mix it up. It's not going to be every play, but he definitely will move side to side when they feel like fa- uh, following one guy. We, we were talking about that a little bit. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a number one receiver with, with a really talented guy you're putting on an island. It could, it could be Bateman, who's not the number one receiver, but is talented. And, you know, if he's going to be on the X side anyway, he's, he's going to be at X. You, you, you have Snead as a possible cover guy for him. And then you have lots of other options. And uh, Trent McDuffie, uh, one, I mean, I loved him coming out of the draft. But uh, one of the things that was true about him was – his his yards per target numbers and his results were just way better than a lot of the athleticism that was ascribed to him. And I know I, I Eric DaCosta in particular did not like him. And uh, I, you know, it didn't matter. The Ravens didn't have a shot at him. He got drafted at number twenty one, and the Ravens were drafting after that. But it, it was. Uh, I still think McDuffie got drafted 21, right? That sound right? Yeah, the Chiefs traded up for tw- twenty or twenty one. One of those two. But the yeah. Chiefs had traded up for him to get him there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, talk a little bit about him. The Chiefs have stuck him in the slot, and I mean, he's been absolutely exceptional for them. They do so many different things with him. So he, I, I would agree that Hamilton is probably the best kind of like apex overhang slot defender in the NFL right now, you know, however you want to word it. But Trent McDuffie's like right there behind him. It's a yeah. completely different flavor of player, though. Like they play entirely differently. Um, the Chiefs have weaponized him so much as a blitzer this year, and he's just absolutely exceptional blitzing his timing, the way he curves around the edge, the way he can tuck his health because he is a smaller guy behind a defensive end to where you can't really see him until the last second. And then in coverage, he's been very good. Um, The weakness is if you want to throw a ball downfield at Trent McDuffie, his lack of length shows up and he does not track the ball great over his shoulder vertically. So you will find a handful of plays throughout the year where he's in a great position. He just can't make a play on the football. So teams that are willing to throw balls up like that can't get him. But if you want to keep it short, you want to try to challenge his change of direction or his ability to click and close, make him tackle in the open field. It's going to be a long day because these things are stuff that he is all excellent at. He is one of the better 
if not best tackling defensive backs in the entire NFL. He will come in and play the force versus the run. He will come at a submarine, a running back in the middle of the uh, in the pocket. He will do whatever it takes. And so the Chiefs defense, I don't want to say he's the best player on the defense, but a lot of what they do pivots around how they use him as a slot defender, how he can defend and kind of be a pseudo force player for them on the outside, blow up screen plays and all that stuff. And then on top of it, be, you know, an excellent coverage guy, even though if it may be a step below uh, elite for the position. Yeah. So seven and a half yards per target this year, which actually higher than any of the inside linebackers. For the uh, for the Chiefs, and that and that it, obviously that can happen. Some obviously linebackers make a lot more easy downhill tackles on running backs and whatnot that are screens that are you know minus two plus seven kind of thing for five. But where is uh, McDuffie's going to be down the field? Some is he? How is he as a downhill player? He's he's excellent. That's where he's at his best is getting to come downhill because the recognition is is incredible. Um, he understands route concepts very well. He understands when whether it's his guy, somebody else crossing into his zone. He just seems to see it and he knows when to come downhill. So the click aspects really fast. He's still an explosive guy. He's quick twitch. So he gets downhill fast. And at the contact point. He's small, but he, it never feels like it. It doesn't ever feel like he can't bring somebody down. Um, so he's very good playing downhill. He's very good playing out to the flats, a, a team that tries to throw a lot of screens. It was That's why it was a little surprising that the Bills had so much success throwing so many bubble screens and getting the ball out to the flats because that's normally something between Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie, the Chiefs' other cornerbacks, and Josh Williams and Jalen Watson. That stuff, they all usually eat up pretty well because they are such good tacklers and aggressive coming downhill. They seem like they were just kind of giving it up versus the Bills, but traditionally they they live in those situations. And Trey McDuffie's probably the biggest one. I don't know if everybody saw, it, but the game in London against Miami Dolphins earlier this year was just an excellent recognition on a little Tyreek Hill bubble screen. Hits him, forces the fumble. The Chiefs return it for a pick six, but just that kind of right there encompasses everything about Trent McDuffie and why he's so important to this team is how quickly he was able to identify that screen and get on top of it immediately. And he can do it, you know, multiple times a game. He did. That's how the Chiefs got. Uh, to control Jamar Chase last year against the Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs to go to the Super Bowl, he plays such a pivotal role in kind of controlling those little short passes behind the line of scrimmage. All right. Joshua Williams, did he suffer any, some sort of injury against Buffalo? I saw his snaps were reduced, and I thought I saw him go to the sideline limping at one point, but maybe I'm thinking overthinking this. I think he did, but he came back in. At Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson, the Chiefs' other two corners, uh, they mm-hmm. kind of just rotate in and out. And so occasionally they get b- uh, banged up. They kind of do rotate that third corner out there. It's hard to pick out a rhyme or a reason for it. It could be very matchup specific. It could be certain play packages. Like it's very clearly the, that is their third corner is those guys and they rotate them a bit. Both of them, though, are good. Uh, Josh Williams, I would say, is a little bit more athletically impressive. So mm-hmm. he's good in press. He can run with guys and doesn't give you a lot of windows to throw the football to. But again, like McDuffie, there are times where he gets lost trying to play the ball downfield, can be gotten by double moves a little bit more, whereas Jalen Watson's a lot more technically sound. He's a little bit more of a playmaker. He will try to bait a play to go make a big interception. He's probably and it's still somehow more technically sound throughout the whole thing, but the athleticism isn't top tier. So there are times where he just can't quite keep up with the movement of some wide receivers. They just kind of rotate through those two guys, though, depending on series plays and stuff like that throughout the game. Matt, it's just outstanding stuff. I I don't ever ask for score predictions because I hate to give them myself. No. I think it's such a waste of time. But, but instead, give me one player maybe on each side of the ball for the Chiefs okay. that you think matches up very well against the Ravens. 
Oh, okay. Um, so this is this is definitely a tricky one here. Um, I'm gonna go with Rasheed Rice. We talked about him a little bit. Um, I think you're gonna get a lot of Hamilton dealing with Travis Kelsey, trying not necessarily follow him, but have a lot of eyes on Travis Kelsey because that is a matchup you want to take away. And the Chiefs have done a good job using Rice and Kelsey in tandem to get Rice the ball, not in the open field, but in space, moving horizontally. And he is really athletic to move. So if they are gonna find some success, I know it's a strength of this Ravens defense, but I think the Chiefs have done a good job getting him more involved as the years gone on, on gone on if Hamilton's paying attention to Kelsey like he probably should Rasheed Rice could find himself a little a few openings behind some misdirection getting the ball going off behind the over the linebackers head so I think offensively I would look at Rasheed Rice defensively I don't know necessarily about a good matchup but I do think that Shamari Connor he's a, again a rookie is going to be pivotal in this I think the Chiefs run defense isn't great there are times where they are going to get run over, but Chamari Connor's been a little bit of an enforcer. He's been a guy that will make tackles behind the line of scrimmage. He will come up and deliver big hits. He's a really good athlete. He just kind of has a knack for making some pretty nice, uh, I don't want to say momentum swinging plays, but big plays in moments where you need them. I think he's going to get a lot more snaps in this game, whether Mike Edwards is able to play as a safety or not. But Chamari Connor's a guy I would look out for. He's number 27 out there. Not a lot of people know him, but he's going to be coming downhill trying to help this team say, hey, you might be able to run on us a little bit, but you were at least going to take a couple hits to do so. And I don't think that will bother the Ravens, right? I don't anticipate that slowing them down, but it does matter eventually to have a defense that's going to start to push back. And he's one of the guys that can do that. All right. Very good. Excellent choices there, I think. Um, uh, we, we, I guess it's not a complete podcast before we talk a little bit about Taylor Swift and her impact, not <laughs> okay. just on the on the Chiefs, but on the NFL as a whole. Um, you know, you see me shaking my head on this. We we did get some news today. Don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I, but Ravens fans are not happy about it about the crew assignment for the game. And I don't know okay. if you saw this, but but it's it's Sean Smith who has the mm. highest percentage of road wins of anybody in the NFL. So it, you know, it's if you're a tinfoil hat guy, you might think that that uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift has yeah. something to do with that. But talk just a little bit maybe about Taylor Swift and her impact. Uh, on Chiefs fans in general. Yeah, it's it's almost like night and day. It's like two different worlds. If you talk to Chiefs fans uh, uh, regarding this Taylor Swift thing, it's been awesome. You have a bunch of, you know, teenage girls that are reconnecting, or not reconnecting, but connecting with their dads over the sport that they like and just bringing groups of people that normally don't have something to share a, share a common bond over that has happened. And you get so many different stories from friends or fans, whether it's moms, dads, whoever, that are watching football with family members that would never have watched football before because there is somebody sitting in a press box. And like that's mind-boggling to me a little bit, but it's also really cool to see. And everybody's enjoying it. It's made a lot of fun jokes. It's brought more attention to the sport as a whole, but especially the Chiefs. So talking with Chiefs fans, it's been awesome. It seems like a lot of fans go around the NFL, a lot of other teams are annoyed by it and i can see from their a from their perspective like why is this one team getting so much coverage why do we care about who's sitting in the press box i get the rationale behind it so it's just it's night and day depending on who you talk to as a chiefs fan because on one hand it's overly positive on the other hand it seems like it's overly negative a little bit and it's just trying to find a balance in the middle and not pay too much attention to it given the fact that we've been dealing with it now for 16 weeks as chiefs fans we are used to it Teams that haven't fan bases that haven't played the Chiefs yet are getting that full dose at now, you know, in the playoff time. And I get that. So you're still counting the weeks. It was about week four where they got together. 
Yeah, it it was going on for a while, um, and I think there was rumblings going on. But yeah, it's it's been a long time since they've been together. I didn't know exactly how long it had been, but like it's been every week for Chiefs fans just hearing about it, dealing with it, whether positive again or negative. So it's just kind of another part of the game prep week from our perspective. But teams that haven't dealt with, I guess, that circus of it yet, I, it, it, it takes up valuable time from talking about the actual sport. So I do get why some people get frustrated by it. It, it is it is certainly valuable for the NFL to market their game and to find new audiences for it. And this is this is one way. Obviously, they can do it. I just don't have I, I hope it does not steamroll the Ravens in the process. And uh, <laughs> none of our tinfoil hat theories uh, come to fruition. But uh, there is a lot of discussion out there about this uh, right now. It's it's a, it, it makes me really wonder if if like a system of jury selection ought to be used that's that, that allows you to, to veto certain um referee <laughs> crews i mean and i i'm, I'm dead serious yeah. about that i think that, that it would make a lot of sense yeah. in terms of of you know having peremptory objections like in a courtroom to certain jurors but anyway it it, uh, it is something that uh uh it stretches back a long way before taylor smith to to sure. officials who would benefit tom brady and whatnot but anyway we are where we are because it's Sorry, said the referee crew very much favors the road teams, if I remember, if yeah. I saw what it correctly is. And so, yeah, and yeah, you talk about tinfoil hat theories, like that's a big one to put out. There's like, why, how, not how did, but like, why was this allowed? Why is it accepted? How yeah. convenient it's for the Taylor Swift-led Chiefs. And, and my favorite conspiracy theory, and I, I don't personally buy into much of these, but the uh, Super Bowl logo one that has the uh, the matchup being the, what is it, the Ravens and the 49ers. The last two Super Bowl logos have had the colors of the two teams that ended up going to the Super Bowl. So it was the Rams <laughs> and the Bengals, the Chiefs and the Eagles. This year's Super Bowl logo color is like a reddish maroon and purple. So the logo cons- uh, tinfoil hat is on the Ravens side now. So now we got a battle of... Uh, Theories going battle on. Of, battle of tinfoil hats here. That's uh, <laughs> that's always nice to have. But uh, I I I hope this. Uh, you know, obviously none of, none of this is is the central thing on Sunday. I hope we sure. have a great game. And uh, are, you're coming to Baltimore for the game or not? No, unfortunately not. I, I got to go down to Dallas, Texas for the uh, East West Shrine Bowl. It's going on. We get a lot of oh, we have a lot of fun going great. down there to cover. Yeah, draft prospects. So I I am off there. I will watch the game from Dallas. I, Spoiled as a Chiefs fan, I've watched the last three since we started KC Sports Network. I've got to watch the last three AFC Championship games from Las Vegas before. Now it's going to be Dallas because, you know, the Chiefs keep it and finding their way here. So I've been very spoiled uh, about this uh, time of year. Okay, well, very cool, Matt. Tell folks once again where you where they can find your work and, and uh, connect with you on Twitter. Yep, You can find everything that you need, you know, about Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs, all Kansas City sports at kcsportsnetwork.com. You can just look KC Sports Network on YouTube and you will find all of our different shows there. Like I said at the top, there's going to be a new show, at least one every single day leading up to this game, talking about what us as Chiefs fans are expecting for the game, breaking it down where we see strengths, weaknesses throughout the whole thing. You can find it all there. Um, like I said, kcsportsnetwork.com or KC Sports Network on YouTube. That is where we have everything for you guys. Want to really thank Seth Kaiser for recommending you, Matt. There's been a tremendously high level. It's exactly what we look for in terms of these Know Your Foe episodes, but you obviously have very detailed understanding of your own team, and, and we really appreciate that. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Uh, get to me. We may have a week before the Super Bowl, an extra week before the Super Bowl, or we may have a whole off season. We'll see. But either way, I want to hear from you about your ideas for other content, and there's always room for additional shows. Matt. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was a great time. And uh, anytime the Chiefs uh, and the Ravens play again, please let me know because I will happily fill in for Seth anytime he is busy. We'll take you up on that. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.